0: I'm excited about the word the Lord has given me to share today. I'm also a little sleep deprived. Uh, and my, one of my goals this morning is to like not fall asleep in my own sermon. <laughs> and, uh, is to hopefully not say a word or a phrase that I would deeply regret. Because I don't know exactly everything that's going on right now. But um, thrilled to be here. It's good to see you again. February 14th, Mark Taylor mentioned this earlier. It's a Wednesday night, and from 6:30 to 7, we're going to have a 30-minute worship service that's going to focus on just worship, repentance, confession. There's a growing number of people in this church and throughout Christianity who uh, participate and celebrate the season of Lent. It's just a season for. Like intense preparation and transformation. I've shared with you before the first time I celebrated Lent. I think most of us probably didn't grow up in church traditions that followed like the Christian calendar. And the first time Casey and I celebrated Lent was in 2002. We got married in May and we went through Lent together as a time of preparation, as focused on the Lord before that. And uh, I grew up with some friends who honored Lent, but they would give up like a snicker bar, and then I would ask if they liked it, and they would say no. So there was like really no sacrifice at all. But Casey and I didn't really talk through what we were giving up together at the time. This is right before we were married. I gave up meat. I gave up chicken and beef, which if you know anything about me, that is a major sacrifice. I did not know what that would mean to my life. Casey gave up desserts. Now picture what date nights were for us when we would go out for those seven weeks, where I wasn't eating meat, but she would order fajitas. And then after eating, she wasn't eating desserts, but since she ate meat, you better believe I was going to give me some desserts. Um, Lynn is not just about what you give up. It's just a time of preparation. And with so many of us and a grown number of people who are celebrating, and we wanted to have just a 30-minute service focused on repentance and confession and And what it means to prepare our hearts for some intense seasons where we can connect with the lord So even if you have no desire or understanding of what the season of lent is I invite you to come to that just a 30 minute worship time and just be a part of it Um the church we're confessing people. It's what we do. It's what we're called to be about in fact in matthew chapter 16 there's this story i've been working with of when uh, Jesus asked Peter, uh, who do people say I am? And Peter's response was, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And that's where Jesus says, and and upon that, and I think what Jesus is saying is upon that confession right there, that's how I'm going to build my church. The church is a confessing people. To confess in the Bible, sometimes to confess is about sin, but even more than confessing More than confessing, being about confessing sin, confession is about allegiance. It's declaring that Jesus is Lord and nothing else in our life is. The church stands on confession. We're a confessing people. That's what we do. And to confess the name of Jesus means that no one who confesses that name will ever stay the same again, that there will be change and transformation that happens in a life. And in Isaiah chapter 53, we find just a few verses that describe, it's a prophecy of what will happen to Jesus And who this Messiah is going to be. And no one expected a Messiah to be like this. Even though the prophecy said it. In Isaiah 53 verse 1-3 through it says this. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by humankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. And the rest of Isaiah 53 goes on to talk about this prophecy of the things that would happen to Jesus, to the Messiah when he came. What I want to focus on this morning is I want to talk a little bit about this phrase. He was despised and rejected by humankind. And I want to talk about, throughout the Bible, times when rejection, betrayal, abandonment happened. So we're in this series, Wired for Connection, in which we're talking about what it means to be wired to God and wired in relationships with other people and what it means for the church to be a community. And a few weeks ago, I was thinking and praying and just really felt the Lord pressing on me that, hey, if you want to talk about community and what it means to be wired, we've got to address some of the biggest obstacles... Obstacles and challenges to being wired because if I were to ask you do you believe that you were made that God wants you to be wired to him And God wants you to be connected to other people. I think it would be a unanimous. Yes in this room I don't think you can read the Bible and not come away with those conclusions to be connected to God and connected to people but if I were to ask you uh How challenging that is in your life. I think we would have a lot of stories of hurt and pain and betrayal. uh, Times when trust has been broken. um, Times when we have been abandoned by others. When we have been left lonely that makes connection in in community and in the church extremely difficult. And, and I want to do this in a way where I'm not going to, this morning, my, my plan, what I've asked God to do in and through me is not to open up old wounds in you that you have already healed from. So that, that's not my goal. But I want to speak into, I think, something that, that hurts a lot of us. And it's the pain, it's the betrayal, it's hurts that may have only, it may have just taken a few moments. Maybe, it just, maybe just one phrase to cause the pain, but sometimes it takes decades to heal from it. Um, when you think of King David, there are a lot of different things that come to mind. We think of a man after God's own heart. We think of David, the man who killed Goliath. He's a giant killer. We think of the psalmist, the musician. The Bible describes him as handsome. He's a warrior. He's a shepherd. He's a friend. He's a womanizer. And this list goes on of who David was. But when you really look at the life of David, from the moment we see him, throughout the rest of his life and his reign, there's betrayal, ridicule, rejection, humiliation that goes with him. Now, rejection of any kind stinks, but rejection when it comes from the people closest to us does more than just sting. It leaves like this gaping hole, right? It leads to this chasm, it leads to this cavity where all forms of uh, evil and loneliness can, can sit in and exist. Now, and this moment in the sermon is when I sat around one day thinking, okay, what are some stories I can tell about some rejection in my life and maybe cause like a little lighthearted moment where we maybe, maybe we can laugh a little bit so that the sermon isn't too intense. So I thought about like times when maybe a girl broke up with me or things like that. And the, and the more I thought about it is like, man, I did not want to make... I don't want to make light of anything this morning when it comes to forms of pain and betrayal and abandonment and loneliness because some of our wounds are so deep to, to even take a moment to try to do something lighthearted just doesn't work and I don't think it would honor who God is or what he's trying to do. So I want to go to First Samuel chapter 16. I want to read a few verses and continue to unpack this idea a little bit. This is the moment when um, we, we've yet to see David yet until 1 Samuel 16. And here's how it goes down. The Lord said to Samuel, this great prophet, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? So you need to fill your horn with oil and be on your way because I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem and I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then you invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So the way this story goes down is that the message about who's going to be anointed doesn't come directly to the one God has anointed. It's going to go through a father to that son. Sometimes the way the anointing of God or the blessing of God comes into your life may not be directly from heaven to earth. It may be in a way where you can hear it more clearly. Sometimes it comes through a person, through a, through someone we respect, through a mentor that a word comes from them into our lives of what it is God may want for us. And the way Samuel's going to do this, the way God calls him to is he's going to set up this worship service and invite Jesse to it and then the rest is going to go down. Now, He's been told it's going to be one of Jesse's sons, but he hadn't been told specifically who it is. And then you go on and read the rest of First Samuel chapter 16, and it almost sounds like, it's like a beauty pageant. It's like Jesse is there, and there's prophet Samuel, and Jesse's like, all right, we're going to start out with my oldest son. And he comes in at 6'1", 185, and he's been doing P90X for a few months, and, and then uh, he's not it. And then it's like, here's son number two, and he comes in at 5'11", and then he goes through, he goes through all his sons, all seven of them. And the Lord says... No, it's not any of these. And then there's, it's just like this weird moment, if you're reading 1 Samuel 16, because then it's like, Samuel says, do you have any other kids? And Jesse's like, well, let me think about it for a minute. You know what, I think I do have one more. He's out in the field somewhere, maybe, maybe I should go get him. I have two kids. If I lose one of mine in the grocery store, we got a major problem, right? Now, if you're a Hinkle who has a bunch of kids. I can only imagine, and for you guests here, we have a family here, and they have about 15, 5, I don't know, 12. A bunch of kids, when they get in a car, I bet they have to do like a kid count sometimes, you know? B- because surely Caleb sometimes left on the cereal aisle or something in a store. We got to do a kid count, or all of them here. Here's Samuel, or Jesse, he goes through all of his kids, and almost like he just overlooks one. Have you ever been overlooked before? And Jesse's like, you know, I guess we do have one more. And it's the one that God had anointed to be the king of Israel, to go on to be the one who would be called the man after God's own heart. There's almost like this foreshadowing in this moment of what David's, what the rest of his life of power is going to be like. Because the anointing of God comes into a life and it doesn't mean that the pathway is going to be easy. When the anointing of God comes upon a life, it means there may still be tension and that you will be pressed and was David ever pressed throughout the rest of his life. But when you embrace and receive the anointing and the blessing of God and who it is God has called you to be, when you are pressed, it's the light of God that comes out, not evil that comes out. David receives this anointing and if you go and look of when the phrase man after God's own heart shows up in David's life. It's not the end of his life. It's not because he passed a test or because he was he he had some great achievement to where now he's called the man after God's own heart. He's called the man after God's own heart back in 1 Samuel chapter 13 again in chapter 16 the man after God's own heart was an identity that was given to him and then he would live out the rest of his life trying to live into what it means to be a man or a woman or a person after God's own heart. That's how it comes. God defines who we are, and we live into it. You are not a person of God. You're not. A, you don't have a heart for God because you pass a test, because you can memorize so much scripture, because of some achievement. God comes and declares who we are, and now we get to spend the rest of our lives trying to live out and live into who it is God has called us to be. He says, "Man after God's own heart," and it wasn't earned. It was given. It's not an achievement. It's a reception. That we open up our hands and our hearts to receive what it is and who it is God declares us to be. I bet there are times in your life when you are crying out to God for something, for mercy, for forgiveness, for a touch of God in your life, for growth or transformation. And I think there are times when we come before God and we're like, God, I've been asking for something for so long. And sometimes I think God's response is, I've been trying to answer the prayer and to give you something in return for six months. But you pray and then you go and you don't pay any attention and you're not even taking like two minutes to sit still so I can actually give you what it is I want to give you. You're coming to me with, with closed fists and I need some open hands and an open heart so I can give you what it is I want to give you. For David and often for us, these fears come to us like this. We live with the fear of being abandoned. We often live in a fear of losing our identity or said in another way, we live in a fear of losing our sense of worth in the world. Uh, So on these airplane rides, I've been on, uh, I read a book about the Panama Canal, because sometimes I do that kind of stuff, all right? And uh, I was just really curious how the Panama Canal was built. This idea came about shortly after Christopher Columbus. So the idea has been around for hundreds of years of how can we connect these two great oceans so we don't have to go all the way around north or north. the way the routes would go is around South America to get to the, to, to the other side. How can we form some kind of canal? And there were other countries in efforts to build a canal that have gone on for a long time. And countries would start an effort and then they would go bankrupt or there would be corruption the effort would stop and then someone else would pick up on it. And the, in the 1800s, the French got 40% of the way through completing what would become the Panama Canal and there was bankruptcy and corruption so they stopped. And it wasn't until Teddy Roosevelt at the turn of the 20th century, in the early 1900s, that Teddy Roosevelt not just had a vision, he didn't just have a vision for it, he put together a strategy and had some execution of how they would get it done. But there were some major obstacles. Did you know 22,000 people lost their lives building the Panama Canal? 5,000 Americans. And, and often, like, sometimes deaths would come because of mudslides or um, the rains or equipment. But the majority of the deaths weren't because of mudslides. It was because of disease, malaria and yellow fever. At one point, 85 percent of the people working on the Panama Canal had not just been sick with malaria or yellow fever, they had been hospitalized with malaria or yellow fever. A little bitty insect that became the greatest obstacle in building the Panama Canal. Now sometimes we look at a mosquito, and we don't think it's that powerful, but have you ever been in a close space with a mosquito? It could drive you nuts, right? And at that time, they didn't know that malaria and yellow fever were caused by mosquitoes. They thought it was just some airborne disease or, you know, demon possession. They weren't really sure. They just knew whatever was happening was, was, it, it was wild. And about that time, there was a physician who discovered that mosquitoes are the ones who carry malaria and yellow fever. So they were able to treat mosquitoes so that... After about a decade, the Panama Canal was completed. Something so small that caused so much damage. And when it comes to our lives and what makes relationships really hard for us is that there have often been things that have been so small that have caused so much damage. And when I say small, I'm not minimizing whatever hurt may have happened in your life. Sometimes it may have come in a form of a phrase or a sentence that a spouse or a parent or a good friend or a boss spoke to you and it stung and it cut so deep. Sometimes it may have been like small in a sense of it was just an hour that happened within a day or one season in your life that wounded you in ways that have taken decades, if not almost a lifetime to heal. Something so small that can cause so much damage and pain. Uh, I was reading another book a couple of weeks ago in which it talked about the power of rejection. And, and what this woman said her, when she came to the conclusion with some of her research is that rejection piggybacks on physical pain pathways in the brain. That the MRI studies show that the same areas of the brain become activated when we experience rejection and abandonment and betrayal as when we experience physical pain. And maybe this is why rejection hurts so much. And they even did research on people where they would give them a certain kind of medicine. That it's medicine that is often used for physical pain. But what they would do is they would bring up some form of rejection or abandonment in someone's life. And those who took the medicine and not the sugar pills would often felt less pain whenever that came up. It's the power of what rejection and abandonment, and betrayal, and what these deep cuts in a relationship can do for us. And what we have in the life of David is David, there were times in his life he had no one, but he kept finding God. Times he had no one and he's on the run, but he kept finding God and God kept finding him. And what amazes me about David is it wasn't that he was a man after God's own heart when he began his journey. It's that that is how the New Testament talks about him at the end of his journey. He's a man after God's own heart. So here's a few things I want to leave you with. I'm not asking for you to look deep into your life to discover or to bring to the surface again what has caused you deep pain in your life. I do want to ask in the presence of God, because in the presence of God, I want to believe that God's grace can hold us through moments when we identify and acknowledge things. I want you to identify what is keeping you from deep, meaningful connection with God or deep, meaningful connection with the church. I want you to identify... Person or place or time in your life when you may have been wounded the most. And it's a wound that still stings and hurts. And then I want you to think about this cycle that we often get caught up in. I've heard it described before. It's like playing ping pong when we discover relational, or when we are in relational pain. That something happens to us, and if we don't respond appropriately, we hit the ball back to whoever caused the pain to us. And then it becomes this game of relational ping-pong. If you say something about me, I'm saying something about you. You talk about my mama, well, I'm talking about your mama. And then it just goes back and forth. And it's like, where where does it stop? Is this a day where God is inviting you into offering forgiveness to someone? And especially for some of you who have experienced forms of abuse and assault I am not saying that, hey, you just need to suck it up today and forgive and get over it. All right, that's not it. I I do realize that often the pathway to forgiveness is a pathway and it's a process and maybe it's time for you today to begin the process towards offering forgiveness. Even if it's not going to be received by someone, oftentimes forgiveness is for your own heart to be right with God. Forgiveness is also realizing that as we forgive, it is not our job to cast judgment on anyone. We're going to trust that God's judgment can do its own thing. And is this a day where you need to get serious about some grudge that maybe you have held in your life? Because often the way relational pain goes is it forms this cavity and it can form this deep hole that is stuffed and filled and injected with forms of bitterness and these grudges that can cause slowly rot the soul. One thing I've been open up to recently is you have this journey of Moses in the Bible where the first 40 years of his life... He was raised in Egypt, doing Egypt things. And then the next 40 years of his life, he's out in the middle of nowhere, and it's like God's preparing him for something. And then the last 40 years of his life, he's this great leader who led the, he led the exodus. So 40 years in Egypt, then 40 years of like preparation and 40 years of leadership. And one way to think about it is it took 40 years to get Egypt inside of Moses. And it's like it took 40 years to get Egypt outside of him so he could be the leader and the person God had called him to be. And in our own life, sometimes it takes just a little bit of time, maybe just a little bit, maybe just a few years or a season to lodge in us something that has the potential to rot the soul. And it takes some time to get it out so that we can live in the freedom that God wants us to live in. So we come into the presence of God and we acknowledge some of the pain and brokenness in us and we acknowledge it in the presence of God. After all, God's spirit is often called the counselor. And I think there are times where God comes and God's like, I just, want, I just want you to articulate your pain. Tell me about it. And after you've told me about it, tell me a little bit more about it. Why do you think it's there? What has this done to you? And let's talk about it so that we can set in motion some healing in your life. And we acknowledge it because suppression doesn't lead to healing and redemption. We acknowledge it, we confess it, we open up about it. And often what we receive in return is the presence of Jesus and the voice of Jesus who comes and says, You know what? I experienced all kind of forms of rejection and betrayal too. And it may not be the same kind that you have experienced, but we do read where Jesus' family rejected him. We read when the people closest to him betrayed him in the moments he needed them the most. He was left lonely. He was abandoned all the way to the cross. And Jesus is the one who comes and says, hey, I have chosen that I'm going to walk with you through whatever pain you're experiencing in your life. And all I'm asking in return is that, you will, that you'll walk with me too. I want to walk with you. I'm just asking you to walk with me too. So we come together as a church to remind each other of who we are in God. And to be able to say to each other and to pray for one another in a way where we say that we are not going to let forms of rejection, betrayal, hurt, abandonment define who the other people in this church are. You need to be able to look in a mirror and say, I'm not going to let abandonment define who I am any longer. I'm not going to let any kind of relational pain to forever define who I am in the presence of God because you are not what your abandonment says you are. You are not what your rejection says you are. You're not what your betrayal says you are. You are who God says you are. And we don't want our rejection to become the deepest regrets in our lives. And where they are, we come and we surrender them in the presence of God. I know a lot of times we throw around the phrase, time heals. And there was a time where I think I used the phrase, I just don't believe it anymore. What I believe now is that time spent spent well heals. And what I believe now is, through just learning from other people, is that time heals when healing is the goal. Time doesn't just heal, time spent well heals. Time surrendered well heals. And maybe today is the day God is setting you on a path of freedom in some of these areas. We do have a couple of tables. Four. Two over here to my right and two over to my left. If there's something you would like to express or acknowledge or write out, I invite you to go and do that. But I want to end just with one story. When I was in Ethiopia one day, we heard all stories of survival. And one story we heard is that there was this village that had this church and this, this church was trying to dig a well so they could have a closer water source. And maybe you're connected to organizations that dig wells in Africa. It, it, I mean, just a couple thousand dollars, you know, can like dig a well and can bring water to an entire village. But for people who are there to dig, it is risky. And it's not risky that they may lose their lives. It's risky that it's, it's expensive and it takes a lot of time. And there's no guarantee that they're going to find water. And there's this one church we heard from who, who they spent hours and hours and they were trying to dig this well for this village. And the number that they often use is around 40 to 45 meters is how far they will dig. And they had gone all the way to 45 and there was nothing and they felt defeated, and, and they were tired, and they felt like the risk wasn't worth it. And then they sat around, they prayed for a few moments, and they said, "We just let's go one more meter, one more meter. And they went to 46, and the water began to flow. And I heard that story, because this is often how I work, As I'm a preacher. My wife and I, we go see movies, and I'm sermonizing, all right? I read books, I'm sermonized, and I hear stories. I'm already thinking about sermon and how can I communicate this? And and my mind immediately went to how many people in the church walk with God and get stuck at 45? And God's inviting you can you just one more meter? Stuck at 45, complacent at 45, relational pain has taken us to a level and we just, we're stuck and maybe it's God inviting you today, just one more meter, not, not your effort, but just surrendering in the presence of God, just a little deeper and just watch and see what kind of blessings will flow from heaven. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing a couple of songs. I want to ask shepherds and prayer leaders, if you will, go to receive people for prayer and just to receive a blessing from the Lord today and invite you to take advantage of some of these places. And let's stand and let's declare our devotion to the Lord as we sing a couple of these songs.